Friday, March 10th, 2023, and welcome to episode 192 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. We're here today with our regular crew, me, Jamil Jaffer, Les Munson, the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and Jessica Jones, TV superhero and deputy executive director of the National Security Institute. So this week, uh, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee and released the Intelligence Community's 2023 Annual Threat Assessment, a yearly report that lays out what the U.S. intelligence community thinks are the critical challenges facing our nation in the year ahead. This time around, the ATA identified two critical strategic challenges that it says intersect with one another and existing trends to intensify the national security implications of these two strategic trends. First, the ATA says that over the next year, great powers, rising regional powers, and a few non-state actors uh, will vie against one another uh, to dominate the global order and to compete uh, and to set the emerging conditions uh, for the next year. Specifically, the ATA flags that strategic competition between the U.S., China, and Russia means the next few years will decide who shapes the narrative. It notes that Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine could escalate into a broader conflict between Russia and the West. The ATA also says that there's another trend, that these that there are a set of shared global challenges, things like climate change, human and health security, uh, and the like, are converging as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they're converging with these economic challenges arising out of energy and food insecurity, as well as rapidly emerging and evolving new technologies that could disrupt the global order. So all these shared global challenges, the ATA says, combine with great power competition to create a fairly unpredictable world. So I think this is the IC saying we don't really know what's going to happen, but there are these big trends. Uh, so, you know, the ATA highlights some flashpoints, like obviously the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the allied competition there, uh, the increasing Iranian support uh, to Russia. Um, it notes that Russia is a revanchist power. It also highlights China's ability to directly influence the global order if it decides to go uh, to war in Taiwan or the like. And it notes that regional players like Iran and North Korea could cause all sorts of problems in their own region that could explode into a global conflict. So with all this, we got to figure out, hey, what should the U.S. do? How should we respond to these these two big trends? Is the DNI right that these are the major trends? Les, what do you think? Well, I find the assessment to be both banal and a little political. It's like the intelligence community read the newspapers, came to the conclusion that there's global competition between the U.S., China, and Russia. Gosh, that's a shocker. Uh, and then threw in uh, the amount of global climate change concern to make Democratic constituencies happy. That's real nice. Uh, I suppose wow. I shouldn't be shocked by any of this. I, I have some positive things to say. Number one, I think if, if this assessment is making the case that it's better for the U.S. to be involved in the world as there is this global uh, kind of power competition happening with China and Russia, and it's important for the U.S. to have multiple links to other actors in the world. Great. Totally agree with that. Uh, I'm not sure that's a real acutely intelligent intelligence assessment, uh, but very good. <laughs> Uh, if if the conclusion we're supposed to draw from this is that we need to spend hundreds of billions of dollars on climate change programs to stop refugee flows, I'm very skeptical. I do not see the scientific basis for that. I would say refugee flows are much more likely caused by political decisions made at home, and we should be addressing governance issues and fragility issues and uh, civil strife and that kind of thing that is not the same as climate change. I mean, uh, just, so, so I guess I have, I have a mixed reaction here. And, and I do. And I think at the end of the day, if I were on the Hill, I'd be a little worried that ODNI is politicized and is basically writing a memo to the president that all of your conclusions are correct. One other quick point. 
It downplays the significance of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, and it downplays the importance of the threat from global terrorism. I believe it is not even mentioned until page 31 of 39 pages in the report. Okay. I mean, just uh, let's make some good points. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, he's he's raising his fist to me like we're in a we're in a boxing ring right now. But I actually agree with some, you know, a lot of that. You know, when you when when the report you know cites great powers, rising regional powers, various non-state actors, I'm thinking, what are we not worried about? Like, who have you not named in the offset <laughs> of this intro that we should be focused on? That's a lot. And so I think, you know, to, to Les's point, I'm not sure how intelligent that Intel report is if you're naming everything I can get in the, you know, the headlines of the New York Times. And, and to the point about, though, maybe Les and I disagree somewhat on the climate change and food insecurity take, I, I will agree on the table of contents, it comes really early on. It's right after the nation state threats, right? It's like right after North Korea. It's like climate change. So whether I would have placed it that that high in the report, if, you know, we know how casual the reader is, if they're even looking at this, how far they're going to get, um, I, I might quibble with that. But I do think it's interesting that food insecurity, for example, is cited seven more times in this report than in 2022. And I think, you know, Food insecurity and climate, the impact of climate change are front and center for the political agenda for a lot of countries in Africa and Latin America, countries that we worry about China is growing closer to and building relationships with. And so whether those issues are a little more political here, like climate change, for example, and what amount of money we want to put on trying to mitigate that and support countries, I do think having that be, you know, more uh, higher, maybe not right after North Korea, but higher in the report to indicate to, you know, international audience, like we're thinking about these issues, these countries that are feeling these impacts and food insecurity situation. You're not by yourself. Don't turn to China. Like we're thinking about these issues too. I mean, just (laughs) this idea somehow, this idea somehow that like we should message in our Intel reports, the world that we care too, (laughs) and you should come to us. I mean, like, that's not like, I don't, that's not the job of the intelligence reports. This is to be a serious assessment of the threats facing us. And I mean, I, I share Les's view and, and your view, which I think you agree with somewhat, right? That like, this is not a serious report. It says everything's a problem. So nothing's really a problem, you know? And it literally, you're exactly right, Jess. It lays out every possible thing that could happen and says, well, we don't really know. Like it's, it's so, it's so high level and, and, and anything could happen that it's like, it's like the, the Havana Center report we talked about before which is, you know, all these different levels of confidence don't really tell us anything and is is largely useless. And I, I take Les's point that, you know, look, I mean, climate change, I, I'm a believer in climate change. I think it's a problem. Yes. Is it going to be a threat to the country t- this year? No, that's ridiculous. Les. Yeah, I, I think I might go. A l- well, I, I have to stand up for myself a little bit. But jump in, Jess. Because I, I think, you know, the report to, to, to our conversation about the report points to the unpredictability of basically the next year, you know, near term, which is a scary thing to think about, right? Because like, how do you play in for the unpredictable? I do think that these um, overarching uh, threats or impacts of climate change or food insecurity, we can't predict, for example, migration flows. We can't predict, you know, if you have, if we don't think about it near us, but if, you know, obviously if large parts of, of a society's population can't eat, there's going to be a lot of churn and societal Frustration, like there, we can't predict how that's going to turn. So that's going to impact U.S. national security interests and where we have to dedicate resources, and and you know our government's eyes. So I I do think it's important. I don't know if it's after North Korea, but I do think these issues are important that to, enough to be in the intel assessment. Here's here's my fundamental concern. I think at the at the at the end of this long podcast analysis of the intel report. <laughs> I'm worried ODNI is politicized. Now, it's not hyper-politicized in this particular document. It's a very mild version. But there is nothing in here 
that the White House would find of concern for its policy agenda. And for me, that's an alarm bell that ODNI as an entity is a politicized office. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I don't think this is a partisan thing because it probably happened in the last administration too. But if I were if I were overseeing the intelligence community from the Hill, I'd be very worried that we're not getting independent analysis of facts in the world to help us make policy decisions. Instead, we're getting a very political, this is going through a political screen before it comes out. There's nothing in here that will embarrass the president uh, and, his, and, his, and the agenda of his party. And that makes me very skeptical. Well, so I, I did when I was reading this morning, I did read that one contrast, perhaps where this might differ from the White House's stance on a lot of things, is that this report does talk a lot about malign influence, specifically from Russia, whereas the U.S. National Cybersecurity Strategy, which just recently came out, downplayed. So this plays a lot more emphasis on the threat of malign influence, whereas our cyber strategy didn't. So maybe that's something Jamil could speak to. I know that's in his wheelhouse. Unfortunately, I'd love to speak to it, but we're out of time. So, folks, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks a lot to Brooks, Brooke Ancon and Rachel Domino from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help in producing today's episodes. Tune in next week for another great episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.